You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. Hi there, this is Jesse with Voluntary Vixens, and I'm going solo today because Maddie decided that she'd much rather be in Ireland than here recording with me, which I don't understand, but oh well. Um, but I do have a special guest with me today, and we'll just call her Kelly. Um, she is a public school teacher where I live. Um, she currently teaches third grade math. Any other? And science. And science. So she's pretty smart, actually. Um, probably smarter than me, because I can barely do third grade math, even though I should probably know a lot more math for being a nurse. <laughs> Or maybe I know more than I realize, but probably, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I was just gonna first just kind of start out since you're a nurse. What kind of education or a uh, nurse, a teacher? Sorry. Um, what kind of education do you have to have for that to be a public school elementary teacher? Um, so you have to have a bachelor's degree um, in education um, or um, like uh, a um, science or something like that. And then um, they prefer that you have a master's degree, which mm-hmm. I have um, a master's in education. So she's not stupid, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you guys, most libertarians think that public school teachers are uh, crazy for wanting to do what they do. But I think, I think like me being a nurse, most people probably think being a nurse is you know, you have to be a little bit psychotic to go into that field, but you have a, it sounds like you have a passion for teaching children. So that's why you went in there yes, in the first place. Absolutely. Um, so I actually asked some of my friends some questions and my mother as well. So um, do you want to kind of talk about, I guess, um, why you chose to do public school instead of a private school and why a lot of teachers tend to Mm -hmm. do that. I think there's a reason why a lot of teachers choose public education. I think that um, obviously when you graduate, you want to get a job. So there's a lot more demand in public schools. There's a lot more public schools. So the potential of getting a job in a public school is probably um, easier than a private school. But I think probably the biggest determining factor is pay. Um, Mm -hmm. Public schools pay their teachers a lot more than private schools. Um, Upwards of ten, twenty, even thirty thousand dollars more than what you would make in a private school. Yeah. Well, that would definitely be a big draw. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) If you're gonna offer me to to do something $30 more or $30,000 more a year, I'm definitely probably going to definitely consider it if not take it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, I guess we're going to kind of start off with, um, the, one of the questions that was asked was, you know, what kinds of technology you think would help you better in the classroom or that you think that you 
need in the classroom? Well, I, I think it depends, honestly, on the teacher. I use um, what we call an active board, which is a large screen um, in the front of the classroom that's connected to um, a computer and also um, a um, document camera. So I'm able to put whatever I'm working on under the document camera and it projects it on the screen. Um, and I use that every day. Um, and then I use um, programs like PowerPoint mm -hmm. um, and things like that. As far as students go, I mean, it would be amazing for students to have one-to-one -one computers um, or iPads, those kind of things. It's not necessary, but with the way that the world functions now, it's really important for them to be comfortable using that kind of technology. And then also, a lot of the testing was going towards being done on computers. So if you're going to require a student to be tested on a computer, then they ought to be also learning on a computer. So those things would be nice. They're not necessarily um, do or die, but definitely technology is um, helpful and beneficial in the classroom. Right. It seems like more and more because, you know, when I was in high, in school, it definitely was a lot less technology based. And we even had to take like a computer class when I was in school. I yes. remember taking that and learning how to type. I took typing on on typewriters. <laughs> so. Yeah. So things have changed a lot since we were in school. Yes. Now we do have um, a technology lab and students go um, for their encore rotation. So if they have... Um, PE or music, uh, technology is one of those rotations. So they're getting that weekly. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, you know, it's, it's just not enough. They need more access to that. So kind of in that vein, you know, of what you would need to, to teach in your classroom, um, I'm going to kind of get a little bit more uh, libertarian here. What things do you think that you probably could use but you but government or the union doesn't provide for you that you kind of have to either provide for yourself or do without um i think that we're provided with well up until last year um, our district didn't have any science curriculum so we didn't have textbooks well we had outdated textbooks that we didn't use anymore that didn't fit the standards mm -hmm. um so I kind of have mixed feelings about that. I think as a new teacher, it's nice to have curriculum that is structured. And, but when you become a veteran teacher, I've been teaching for 12 years. So mm -hmm. I know the standards that, are, that haven't changed. They change them all the time, which is something else we can talk about. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that... The curriculum sometimes can be binding, so um, if you're required to follow that all of the time, um, it prevents you from having that creativity. So I tend to go out online and, and look for resources and things that maybe they haven't provided for me that better fits my students. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think overall, at least from my experience, 
um, we have plenty of resources. Um, you know, if you're willing to, we have a, a, a place where it's open several times a year. It's like a teacher depot and they have stuff that people donate and like teachers that donate and you can, you have to get up super early in the morning. It's like Black Friday shopping and you sit outside and uh, <laughs> wait for two hours for the doors to open so you can get in there. But I mean, I've never really felt like I didn't have what I needed to teach. Okay. Because that was one of the questions that um, actually one of the, one of the people on um, our private group had asked was, you know, um, what could you not like, what could you not imagine or what can you imagine being able to do that you're not allowed to do? And it sounds like, am I wrong in saying that it sounds like you pretty much think you got everything you need to teach? I think so. Okay. There, there have been instances, instances where, you know, we've been given a specific standard we have to teach and we don't have any resources for it. Um, you know, I had mentioned that we just got new science curriculum and there were a couple of standards that weren't covered in the curriculum anywhere. And mm -hmm. so then you go online and you're looking and it's such a um, odd standard that doesn't really fit like what other states or like the national standards are. So then it's really difficult to find materials to teach that. And so then you end up having to develop it yourself. Okay. So can you, can you kind of give an example of what that would be? Like what the standard would be? Okay. So we had a standard, we have a standard in science where, um, you have to talk about um, like a material that when you apply heat to it, it changes states or it changes its um, properties change. Mm -hmm. And so you had to compare like properties that you can convert back and then other things where you can't convert it back. And mm. um, so my team teacher and I sat for a long time just like trying to even just think of examples of that and it was really hard and all we could really come up with were things like um, boiling an egg so mm -hmm. if you you know heat an egg um, its properties change and you can't change it back but then um, trying to think of things that you can change back you know it was just really difficult for us to come up with lots of different examples and um, there weren't any resources online and so we kind of just had to like create things okay does it get frustrating having to do that on your own or do you feel like that makes it more fun to kind of have that? I enjoy doing that but the problem is I don't have time to do that yeah so, <laughs> it gets very frustrating when I'm spending so much time trying to develop something that will be beneficial to my students when I you know I just, I don't have the time during the day. I have 45 minutes of planning, which is hardly anything. And a lot of times, at least twice a week, if not three times a week, that 45 minutes of planning is meetings we have to be in, that we're required to be in. Well, that was one of the questions that one of our listeners, um, and he he also has his own podcast, Mike Meharry. He, had, he does a podcast called Godarchy, okay. which is a Christian uh, well, yeah, it's Christian, but he, he has like, he's had other people on there, like atheists and Muslims on there, but I guess he has a family member that teaches and he was asking like, if there was any, um, ma like any 
bureaucratic type things that kind of get in your way of being able to do your job. Yeah. I guess that's what you're just saying right now is meetings. Yes. Which isn't that the truth for like every job? Mm-hmm. I mean, who likes going to meetings anyway? Yeah. I don't know. Well, usually a waste of time. <laughs> I remember one of my jobs, we would have meetings all the time and it was like such a frustrating thing because I really needed to be on the phone and, and calling people and doing getting my job done and I had to be in a meeting. Right. So I wonder if that's how you feel the same way. Yeah, we have lots of meeting and sometimes they're necessary. I mean, you know, as a teacher, I have to do um, meetings like IEP meetings where we're meeting and discussing student needs and coming up with like a legal binding document to help that student um, mm-hmm. get what it need, what they need. Um, so, I mean, sometimes they're necessary, but a lot of times it's just, you know, information that could be conveyed in an email or, <laughs> yes. or we have um, what's called PLC meetings where it's professional learning communities and we, we, we meet weekly with mm-hmm. these. And what we do in those meetings is we come up with what's called a SMART goal and it's a goal that's um, achievable and um, measurable So we might say like 80% of our students will um, score 80% or higher on, I don't know, reducing fractions or whatever. So how do they come up with these 80, these percentages? We come up with them together. Just what we think is obtainable uh, for our students. Okay. Um, And so then we have to develop a plan and we have to develop a pre-assessment and a post-assessment and then we come back with our data and we compare our data and we if it's you know one teacher did better than another we could talk about how we taught it and in theory it sounds like maybe it would be beneficial but it's really just a waste of time because um, that sounds like a nightmare to me as a introvert and also uh just i can't i don't like working in groups of people anyways Yes. But then again, I couldn't be a teacher, so. <laughs> well, I'm an introvert in an extrovert's job, so I can completely yeah. relate to that. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so hard because unless you have a team of people that you really just gel with and work well with, it ends up just kind of either being something that you check off the list or it becomes like, just tension and mm-hmm. stuff. So does it ever get to be like, well, Mary did a really good job on her thing. Let's all give her a little sticker and everybody else who didn't meet their standards, we will shame you kind of thing. Um, I don't think it's ever really presented that way. But I think sometimes some people have attitudes like that. I mm-hmm. mean, um, but <laughs> I think that at least the school where I am, they, they do a really good job to try to cultivate that teamwork mentality and building each other up and that kind of thing, um, at least from the top down. But I don't know. I, I just think that the, those those meetings are a waste of time because it's really, at least in my experience, it's just a checking a, something off a list to do. And it's not a good use of my time. Yeah, my... That's kind of, okay, that sounds like a nightmare to me because I've been in types, not, I've never been a teacher, but I've been in similar situations. Sure. Where, and then it ends up being, well, why was Mike able to do it and you can't kind of thing at my job? So I don't, I'm hoping that's not what happens with you. Yeah, I haven't experienced that. Um, let's see. 
Um, all right, so let's kind of get a little bit more. Let's get a, even more libertarian. <laughs> um, if school wasn't compulsory, what problems do you think could be avoided? And this guy was thinking of like school shootings, suicidal thoughts, um, you know, anything that kind of in that realm where kids, like maybe kids getting hooked on drugs or bullying at school, that kind of thing. What yeah. do you, do you think that, I, you think that would alleviate those problems or do you think those problems will always exist no matter what? I think, I think those problems are societal problems. I don't think that they're necessarily school related. I mean, I think we all play a part. So schools f absolutely play a part in that. But I think that just from my experience with students who have tendencies in that way, they tend to have really bad home lives. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the issues in schools stems from home life and parents and what what's coming into the school system. So... Um, I guess what I what I think what he's trying to say just to be, just to kind of advocate for him for a second because sure. I'm not sure a hundred percent but, you know there's, there is a um, a school of thought that if we didn't make school mandatory for every student let let's just say like maybe not everybody not school school's not for everybody kind of thing if we didn't have like a law that said you have to be in school from this age to this age. Um, and you let parents kind of decide, but maybe we could cut back on some of that, but I don't Ooh, know. I, I probably don't agree with that because that might work for some families, but when you're thinking, I feel like we are responsible for the most innocent in society. So when you look at a child who is growing up in a house where the parents just don't really care about them. Mm -hmm. School sometimes for them is the only place that they can go where they feel loved, where they feel accepted. Sometimes it's the only place where they can go to eat. And yeah. for instance, I had a student once who um, was abused by his parents so severely. Um, I, I can't go into details, but um, it wasn't discovered till he started kindergarten. Oh, God. And it was, it, I mean, he will have issues. His parents are in prison now because of their abuse mm -hmm. towards him. And, I mean, he will suffer with that for the rest of his life. But if he hadn't gone to school, who knows how long that would have gone right. on or what would have happened. Um, and I also believe, like, I mean, even... At the elementary age, I mean, we're teaching things that are um, fundamental, like reading and writing and um, math and things that you need for even the most um, simple jobs out there. So I definitely feel like it's important that all, all children have access to school. Um, you know, as far as like how schools might play into some of these like major issues that we have, I think where I see failure on the school's part is a lot of times we can identify these things, but I don't see enough action taking place. You know, mm -hmm. I've had students that um, were definitely, I mean, I'm teaching younger children, 
So I'm not necessarily going to see a lot of like the school shooting kind of things, but I have had students who have made threats mm-hmm. to school, to the school as a whole, to other students, to teachers, um, even at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And I don't see enough action taking place. It's Is it kind of like the Parkland shooter type situation, you think, where like everybody just missed all the red flags? I don't think we're even missing them. I think we're seeing them and, and ignoring them. And then we're trying to coddle them instead mm. of dealing with it head on and saying, this is not okay. And we have to address this now. It's more of like, well, you know, let's give them another chance and let's, you know, the touchy feely kind of stuff instead of, of course, caring for that child. Any child who feels a need to want to cause harm to someone else is probably hurting themselves and that needs to be addressed but also it needs to be addressed in a way that is going to protect the other students and i see that piece missing a lot of the time where we're we're so concerned about this individual student that we're missing what that student can do to everyone else yeah yeah i know there was um a little boy in my daughter's class who would disrupt the whole class and everybody, mm-hmm. they would have to evacuate everybody in her class and deal with him inside the room alone. And he would throw chairs and things like that. That's very common. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very common. And um, it makes me wonder like what a teacher can even do in those situations, because it's not like you guys go to school to deal with that as an, as an issue. Like you don't learn all about that in your master's program. You know, that when I was working in psych, I mean, we really didn't even deal with a lot of that when I was going to school for that, when I was getting my master's in counseling, but we knew that was a possibility. And, um, but I, so I, and I think when we went to, when I went to work at, um, some of the facilities that I worked at, we learned, we had to learn some restraining techniques, which mm-hmm. I mean, okay, let me just tell you guys about the restraining technique that we learned. Me and a friend of mine, we worked there together. We tried to restrain my husband <laughs> and that failed miserably. So we would have been murdered at work oh if goodness. we tried to do that. So, um, but we did, we were successful at, at restraining another friend of ours because she was small enough to mm-hmm. put down. And we have a picture of it somewhere. But um, I'm just wondering, do you guys even learn how to restrain kids or what to do with kids? Or? So we're not allowed to touch them at all. Okay, so. But there are teachers in the building who are, oh. and they're trained. So they go to specific training on how to restrain a student properly and they're the ones. So if a student starts that business, we evacuate the classroom mm-hmm. and then we contact the office and they call those specific teachers to come and restrain the child. Okay. So I'm sure that really um, helps your teaching that <laughs> lesson that day, I'm sure, a lot. Because um, that probably doesn't take, you know, just a few minutes. That probably takes a while. Yes. So that's a that's like a lesson plan that's pretty much lost for the for the day. Yeah, yeah. So you end up having to either combine or pick up the next day, and and if it becomes, you know, if it happens once or twice, um, you know, that's you you can't 
control the students that are brought to you. you right. Know? So when those things happen, you know, you expect them to happen, but when it continues to happen over an entire nine-month period of, of a school year, that's where the issue lies. So it needs to happen. Something needs to happen to prevent it from continuing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're kind of missing it. And I don't necessarily know what the answer is, but I know that um, something different needs to happen. Well, I think that what I would suggest as a parent, um, because my daughter was behind in her reading, mm-hmm. and um, she was supposed to, you know, she had to be in like special groups and stuff to keep her caught up because she was the youngest kid in her class. Um and also easily distracted so that when things like that would happen, you know, it would prevent her from being able to catch up on her reading with the other kids in her class. So that bothered me a little bit because sure. um, I was thinking, I remember telling my husband, like, we probably should call the principal and ask her what she's going to do about that student because it's affecting my daughter's education. and I'm paying for it through my taxes. So I feel like my opinion about that should matter. I don't know if they, whatever they decided to do with him, but, um, I do think that a lot of times, um, other parents probably kind of run into the same problem I'm having is their their kids are missing out on important mm -hmm. stuff because of things like that. I will say that if anything happens 90% of the time, it's because parents call. So I think if parents were more involved in saying and calling and advocating for their child then more would happen but when when it's just the teacher complaining to the administration you know they're like well our hands are tied or you know but if you have an influx of parents calling and saying i'm concerned not just about my child's education but about my child's safety with Mm -hmm. this student in here and you have multiple parents calling and calling downtown and that kind of thing then you're going to see more action take place. Okay. Um, so aside from like something like that, are there any other things that you think of that you can think of that you wish that the public school system would get rid of so that you can focus more on your job and on your children being able to get their education to them? Well, I had mentioned earlier I had mentioned earlier about um, the standards and how those are constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after teaching 12 years, I feel like I should have a really good, solid understanding. And I've been in, I've taught fifth grade and then I've been in third grade for my entire career. So I should have a good, solid understanding of what I'm teaching these kids and what is the best way to get that, um, to get an eight-year-old mind to, to be able to understand the concepts. And I will say that I'm very skilled at that age and I understand how they think and um, I can anticipate um, difficulties that they'll have. But what is really hard for me is having a good solid understanding of the standards because all it feels like every year there is a major change. Yeah. And that you know they'll say well let's try this and then we try it for a year or two and then they say oh that's not working let's try something else but you haven't given 
the first year, I'm just trying to figure out mm-hmm. what I'm teaching, how to teach it. The second year, I can kind of tweak it and I've kind of figured out what worked and didn't work and so if I know that this didn't work then I need to find something else and maybe that will work maybe it won't Mm -hmm. so if I had more time to really embrace what the changes that they've given us then I could feel like that would give us a better idea of whether or not it's going to work so I feel like leaving the standards alone leaving the curriculum alone letting us just really Mm -hmm. get into it would improve are the standards pretty specific like are they are they more broad they used to be very specific and now we've gone to more broader standards which is very frustrating because as a teacher i'm evaluated based on not just how i teach but how my students perform on a standardized test Mm -hmm. and if i don't know specifically how they're going to be tested then i can't I may teach them if it, if if the standard says something like um, I'm trying to think of a good example. If a if a standard says something about um, learning about certain um, adaptations, for instance, then if I don't know what specific adaptations that they want me to teach, they could I could teach all about adaptations, but I can't teach every adaptation that there is. Mm-hmm. And if they approach it from a different way on a standardized test, an eight-year-old has a very hard time generalizing what they've been taught. So hmm. there's not necessarily, they might understand what an adaptation is, but they may not show that on the standardized test because of the way that they've been asked about it. Okay. So if I had a magic wand and I could just erase the Department of Education and get rid of all the standards and then the teachers themselves could you know knowing they're having that education you know what a developmental you know the milestones are going to be for an eight-year-old you know what their brains are capable of comprehending you understand what they probably should know at that age level um do you think that your job would be much more successful in being able to get across i think standards are good I think it's good to have like a skeletal um, layout of what should be taught in each grade level. Um, but do you think the government should be the one that says, do you think a bureaucrat somewhere up in? No, okay. I think, I definitely don't think that someone who's not educated in education should be making those decisions. I definitely feel like it should be people who are either veteran teachers or who are involved in education. Mm-hmm. But I think. You know, if you allow, like, for instance, if you have um, our city and we're coming up with our own standards and then you have, you know, a neighboring city coming up with their standards, I think it would make it very difficult um, for all students to be able to get the same quality of education, Um, especially as much as people move around, you Mm -hmm. know. So, like, for instance, let's say... Second, this this city thinks second grade is the best time to teach multiplication. So they teach multiplication second grade. And let's say that a neighboring city um, thinks third grade is the best time to teach multiplication. So a student is at the neighboring city in second yeah. grade. They don't get multiplication. Parents move to the other city for jobs or whatever. Now that child's in third grade 
And in their previous city, they'd be learning multiplication, but now they're in a city where they learned it in second grade. Well, now they miss that completely. So, and I think it's difficult for parents to be able to catch them up on such a huge concept. Mm -hmm. So I think a good skeletal outline of like what students learn and when they learn it and is a good thing, but I think they need to leave it alone. Yeah. Okay. So you're kind of in the middle then, it sounds like. Um, I would think that, and I'm not a teacher, so this, you know, just take my opinion with a grain of salt, but I would think that if you had, you know, like for the nurse, for nurses, we have the board of nursing, we have a pretty general outline of, you know, what, when you get your BSN, what, what you should know by that point and what you should be able to do, like, you know, what your limitations are like, we can't diagnose, we can't you right. know, prescribe medications, obviously, but there are some things that we can do within our scope of practice. So I would think that maybe something like that, I don't know, you guys already might have that as a teacher, that there's like an outline of like, you know, what you guys are able to, you know, accomplish within a certain grade period. Um, you guys could probably come up with that with, without somebody up in an office somewhere who maybe had like one or two years of teaching experience Mm -hmm. and then they decided they don't like it and they want to be a bureaucrat yes (laughs) or an administrator (laughs) right um making those standards for you yeah right yeah so that's why i feel like if you had sort of a skeletal outline that everyone follows and then either the school board or a group of teachers or something can make it more specific um, but of course, then you run into the whole standardized testing problem. And yeah. if, if you're if you're giving a standardized test across the state, and they all have different standards they're being tested yeah. on, that you know. Well, I, I prefer. I think standardized testing in general, even just to get into college, I think it's all just BS. I yeah. think it's stupid. I don't. I don't think it really measures any intelligence at all. I think it just shows what you're able to like throw up for the test. Yeah. So I, they're so they're so difficult because, especially when you're looking at elementary aged kids, because mm-hmm. the vocabulary you use or the way that you phrase a question can completely throw them off. So yeah. and then. I feel like standardized tests can be useful in the sense of like gathering information. We used to do um, a test, a benchmark test that tested all of the different standards. And I loved the data that I got from it because I could see, oh, all of my students missed this question. And I could look at the question. I could see how it was phrased. I could see the vocabulary that was used. So I could determine, did they miss it because of they didn't understand the vocabulary? Did they miss it because they didn't understand the standard, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I could say, oh, I just didn't teach this very well. Let me go back and, you know, figure out a different way to teach it. So I think there is validity and there is um, uh, usefulness to them. But I think that the way that we're using them is completely, it, it just, it's not helpful. It's not telling us how we are performing as teachers because I can't ever see the test. Mm-hmm. Not before it's given, not after it's given. There's no way for me to know that the standards that were being um, assessed were actually what I was supposed to be teaching. Like, we can't hold the test makers accountable at all because they're so afraid that we're going to cheat 
oh, well, if I see the test beforehand, then oh, I'm going to God. give them the answers. I mean, it, when we have testing in the school, it is so, it's, it's, the tests are in a room with lock and key. Only certain people are allowed in that room. We, if we leave the room, we have to take the test booklets with us, mm-hmm. like in for a break or whatever. We have to count them every single time, before and after. It has to be signed off by two different people. It's this huge undertaking because they're so afraid that we're going to cheat and then skew our um, effectiveness yeah. to make us, to, basically to make us look good. Um, so I, I feel like, Standardized tests are not bad, necessarily. That says a lot about the test itself and about, I mean, it's, I don't know, it just seems like, um, it really, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it really reflect. this still doesn't reflect on you as a teacher when you give the test, whether you, I mean. No, and it's not even, it's not even how they perform on the test. That's not the score we're given. So they take a test in third grade. And then they take a test in fourth grade. Based on how they score in third grade, it predicts how they're supposed to score in fourth grade. Mm -hmm. So they're given like a number, and this is the number they have to achieve. And so then they have some kind of magic formula that we have have asked so many people to explain it to us. No one can explain us the formula. So we're being held accountable based on a formula that no one can show us how they figure figure out our score. And they measure their growth from third grade to fourth grade. Mm-hmm. So as a third grade teacher, as a kindergarten, as a first grade, as a second grade teacher, none of us have what they call value added or our growth score. Mm-hmm. So we have to take a score that is given from fourth to fifth, from third to fourth and fourth to fifth. We take a school-wide score, which means it's not even reflecting me specifically as a teacher. Yeah. It's reflecting the school as a whole. So the only teachers that actually get, um, not graded, but um, assessed or um, on our growth score are fourth grade, fifth grade, and up. Middle school, high school. Because they have growth scores. I don't have a growth score because they've never taken a standardized, te- standardized test before second grade. That's weird. So another thing I was going to ask, too, um, kind of along that vein, and we'll get back to standardized tests, I think, in a little bit, but do you feel like the the way that the system is right now, that you're kind of teaching, like, straight down the middle of, like, the, the kid that's kind of operating in the middle, and then that maybe you're not, cap- you're not able or have the time to, like, spend with the kid who is, you know, he's probably smarter or functioning higher than where you're aiming at or the kid that's below and needs a little bit more help? Do you feel like those two groups kind of get lost in the shuffle? Um, I feel definitely the higher up kids probably do get lost. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just very, very difficult as a teacher to meet all of your students. If you have a, a student who's reading at a first grade level and you have a student that's reading at a sixth grade level, and then you have everything in between, it's just, it's next to impossible to be able to meet the needs of every one of your kids all of the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that 
the low kids tend to be our focus more than anything because we are trying to make that growth. Um, and you can get your biggest growth from a low kid. So if you yeah. are, if you are really helping those lower kids, um, then you're going to get that more growth. So you're teaching to the average, like on level kids, but then you're really honing in on those low kids and you're pulling those for small groups and you're trying to give them interventions and help them catch up. Um, so really I feel like the kids that are getting left behind more would be those higher kids because you know, they're going to score well and you just don't have the time to, to look for resources and, um, give them the enrichment that they need. Mm -hmm. Not to say that we don't try to do that, but I think if anybody gets left behind, it's probably them. Um, we, we used to have, um, a, um, gifted and talented program where those kids got pulled out once a week and got enrichment and that kind of stuff. We don't do that anymore in our district. Um, we have uh, coaches, I guess you could call them that come and they're supposed to help us develop lessons and that sort of thing to help to implement in the classroom, yeah. um, which really isn't helpful. I mean, they basically do what I could do, a Google search to find something. And it's, it's not very <laughs> intensive by any means. So I think all teachers are, are really working hard to meet those kids, but it's sometimes it's just, it's really hard. Right. Well, um, another thing I was going to ask is, um, you know, kind of, I mean, it kind of, kind of goes with what you were saying. So are you guys, are you guys still kind of doing like the no child left behind type mindset then so you're really just kind of like a lot of your energy goes into getting everybody caught up to the middle I think we're always trying to push our kids no matter where they are mm -hmm. I just think that it's harder to push those high kids because I mean I think that anybody would feel like you really want to get those low kids caught up because the further they get behind the harder it's going to be, life is going to be for them. What do you think would make it easier for you to reach the, you know, the higher functioning kids so they're not bored? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think more planning time would be the biggest impact on all of my students. If I had more time to focus on my lesson plans um, and and instead of going to meetings and, and other trainings and things that are not really helping my students I think that would be very helpful and I think not changing the standards every yeah. time I turn around so that I can put my energy into my students that I have right now instead of learning new material and new ways to teach that back the, you know you're talking about the standards it reminded me of another thing um my daughter you know when she was in kindergarten um a lot of people asked me why I didn't hold her back and I didn't understand what the what the reason why people were really pushing me to hold her back for but when she got into school I re they were automatically you know she was five years old she just turned five when we had put her in yeah she was just learning how to write and learning how to you know she knew her ABCs but she was learning how to write it well and all that stuff it while most of the kids in her class had already been doing all that all summer long. So um, 
I was thinking when she finished that year, I was like, a lot of the stuff that they did, I remember doing in first grade. Yeah. So I'm wondering, is that, do you feel like some of the standards might be a little bit too much? Definitely. I uh, definitely feel that way. I think we put so much in, so much emphasis on academics at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, academics are important, but a student is a whole person. And kindergarten used to be more about learning the alphabet, learning their numbers, learning how to hold a pencil and, and write all of those things. But also, like, how do you interact with other kids and how do you... Um, you know, just adjust to that kind of atmosphere. And developmentally, I feel like we're pushing our kids way too, too much. And some kids can handle it. Yeah. They really can. And that's great. But a lot of kids can't handle it. And it, that a lot of times causes that, mm-hmm. um, those kids that just are struggling all through school. I mean, I teach third grade and I'm teaching algebra. I mean, we talk about what a variable is and we look at word problems and how could I write an equation from mm-hmm. this word problem? And some kids, they get it right away. And I think that most kids can grasp it, but I don't I want to say that most kids can grasp it, but a lot, majority of kids can grasp the concepts, but it's so much and it's so stressful. And we're just, we're missing out. You know, every year I see kids more and more and more, I spend more time just teaching them, how do you be a good human? Like, how do we, how are we (laughs) respectful to each other? You know, I mean, we're encouraged to have these discussions with our students and um, accountable talk where they're, we're not just regurgitating answers, but we're like talking in depth about, um, you know, why are we writing the equation this way? And why do we solve a math problem like this? And it's great mathematical thinking and it's good foundational thinking for when they get into more complex math. But if they can't even talk to each other in a respectful manner and I'm spending 20 minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. discussing how do we have a conversation that these are things that should have been learned when they were much younger. um, Or at home, maybe. That sounds like more of like a parent child conversation. Which is another problem that I see more and more is that these kids come to school and they don't have just the normal things that they should be learning at home. And so we are be assuming so many more responsibilities of just how do we interact and how do we behave and how are we responsible? The grade level I teach, that is a huge, huge thing. They're going from primary to intermediate school. Yeah. So they're learning to be more accountable and responsible, but we don't get the support from home. So you have parents who... You know, if a kid forgets their homework, they're rushing to school to bring in their homework. Instead of letting them face the consequence of, I didn't have my homework, what does that mean? So that they don't repeat that again. They're rescuing their kids constantly. And then if if uh, I still hold their child accountable for not having their homework, then I'm the bad guy. So then I have parents complaining to me and complaining to my um, principal yeah. about, you know, so... I won't be doing that with my kid. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> Good. But you're not setting your child up for success when you don't let them feel failure. Yeah. And that's that's a huge, huge issue yeah. today. You want it to hurt so bad that they don't want to do it again. Yes. So, I mean, I'm the mean parent, apparently. <laughs> um, 
that's what my that's what my husband thinks at least um okay so i mean there's a ton of questions here and i think we kind of got a good idea there are some other issues that we kind of um that i wanted to talk about too because um we did talk about you know behavior behavioral issues and we talked about parenting you know either being too permissive or abusive mm-hmm. um Another thing I wanted to ask you is, have you ever been in a situation where a student attacked you? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're just, wow. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I don't know any teachers that haven't been in that situation. Um, usually that happens with special ed kids more. Um, and so you kind of expect that. You know, they have a harder time um, controlling their behaviors and that kind of thing. But, yeah, um, I've, I've definitely been in those situations and um you know you you handle it the best way that you can i'm not one of those teachers that's trained to restrain Mm -hmm. um but there have been times where i have put my hands on a student because it needed to happen and i may not be trained but for the safety of myself or the safety of the other students or even the safety of that specific student Mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to you have to do what you have to do. Yeah. Um, and then another one here. This was a good question. I don't know if you've ever, I mean, we're talking about elementary school. So um, somebody asked, you know, and I don't know where the statistic came from. So if, if you all know, just let, you can email us. Um, that he asked, what does she think, you, about the government statistic that roughly 11% of children will be molested by teachers between kindergarten and high school. Is that something that you've experienced in your job? I have not. Um, I've never heard that statistic before, but that's terrible. I mean, I have heard of kids getting molested in school. You know, I think, you know, we have to be background checked before we ever come into the school and and are alone with students. Um, And... The district that I'm in has just um, in changed those requirements to where I have to be background checked every so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, used to it was just when you started and then you were good. So I'm fingerprinted and, and all of that's on record. All of the teachers, anybody who comes in contact with students, even parents, mm-hmm. if you go on a field trip, you have to have a background check. Um, so... I think that we do a pretty good job of trying to prevent that, but I don't, I mean, I don't know, aside from that, how you could really, I mean, other than. If they don't have a prior. Right. You know, then, what can you do? I would think, I, I know that there was a situation where I worked, um, I worked at a psych hospital and I worked specifically on the children's unit. We did have an incident where there was a male nurse and he would go and sit with the, with the girls on, on that unit and talk to them about sex ed stuff and he was not I mean he was just doing that for whatever reason voluntarily and it he got reported because somebody was you know somebody was creeped out by it because why is a male nurse going into he was going into one of the patient's rooms and all the girls were kind of sitting around he was like having a lesson he was never supposed to you know when we do those kind of lessons we have a specific room that they go in and they have where the and there's a camera in that room, mm-hmm. and um, he has a lesson plan he's supposed to follow when we talk about that kind of stuff. Because obviously, when you're talking about kids in a psychiatric hospital, a lot of them have, 
a history of sexual abuse already. Sure. And we have to talk about what's healthy boundaries, what's non-healthy boundaries, that kind of thing. Because when you're young and you've had those boundaries, you know, crossed by an, by somebody who's supposed to be taking care of you, you may yourself grow up without understanding boundaries and you may cross those with other people. So right. we have a whole lesson plan that we would do about that. And it was um, just weird that he was in a room doing that. And then they found out, too, uh, he would disappear on the unit or off the unit for a while and go mm-hmm. to um, a different area of the hospital where there was a computer so somebody just kind of we have like our own computer guys they got a little curious and they just did a history search on his on that computer and they found that he was looking up porn and all that stuff so this guy never i mean if, even just being a nurse when you get your license and everything you kind of do the same thing that you guys do we have to have a background check we have to have our fingerprints done um there's all kinds of things that we have to have done because we are in contact with so many different people we we have to have that i guess yeah um so he didn't have any priors or anything when he got hired obviously i'm sure he has something now but i would think you know he probably applied for this position position because of his access that he would have to kids especially young girls Mm -hmm. so um do you and you don't have to name any names but have you ever run across anybody, and this is just a question I'm thinking of off yeah. the top of my head, have you ever cross, run across anybody in your field where you just kind of got like a vibe from them that maybe there's something off? I haven't. Off? I okay. haven't. Um, I mean, I've come across teachers that I felt like maybe shouldn't be in the profession, but I've never like... <laughs> <laughs> not I've to never, that level? No, no, not to that level. Um, everyone I've worked with, for the most part, have, have been people who are really passionate about their students and... Um, you know, their well-being. Okay. Um, and then the next question, I was going to kind of end on two questions. What do you think about being in the union? What about te- what do you think about teachers' unions? And then we're going to talk uh, – I wanted to get your opinion on school vouchers. Okay. Um, teacher unions, I'm not a member of the teacher union. Um, I personally don't feel – Um, I don't agree with their political involvement, so I don't feel comfortable with my money funding that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there, I think there is some value to the unions on a local level. Um, You know, they advocate for teachers. You know, we have duty-free lunch now because of the teachers' union, and they advocate for pay raises and those kinds of things. So I do feel like they have some positive influence um, but I'm, I personally don't feel, um, that I want to contribute to the teachers unions because of the, on the national level, is it because kind of a on national, the national level? level, but even on a local level, there are things that they fight for that maybe I don't necessarily agree with. Um, so I know there's a, a friend of, well, she goes to our church. Um, she was talking a lot about for a while, there was a mother that was wanting to have a, or wanting her son to go to the girl's bathroom and really was trying to fight for that. It was like a six year old kid. Oh, wow. Um, so I remember her talking, she was a, she's a member of the school board mm-hmm. and she was talking about how they were meeting with the mom about it. It was because the mom was just making a huge deal out of it. Are there things like that? You mean like. 
kind of pushing for things that you don't necessarily. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I don't, I've never run into any of that in elementary school. It sounds like it is happening. Um, just maybe not in my experience, but, um, but yes. And I, I know that that happens. Those kinds of things are happening in middle school and high school oh, yeah. a whole lot more than what I'm seeing. Um, we actually have to go to, well, most teachers have already had it. I haven't yet, but a training where we have to be um, trained on how to be, um, I forget what they call the training, but culturally sensitive. And it's basically a training where we have to um, respect whatever gender a student might identify themselves with as far, uh, to the extent of using the correct pronoun that they want to be called by, the names that they want to be called by, and those kind of things. And um, I know of middle school teachers who have encountered that and have pushed back against that. Um, I've never had to deal with any of that, thankfully. Yeah, maybe it's a little, hopefully that you won't have to Yeah. yet. <laughs> Um, and then school vouchers, because I know that's a big thing. They've mm-hmm. been talking about doing that in Tennessee. Um, I think they're going to try that out in Nashville mm-hmm. right now. Um, or school choice, I yeah. guess, vouchers. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I have mixed feelings on vouchers. Um, I don't really, I'm not really for them. I'm not really against them necessarily. I think there's no harm in trying it out and seeing how it works and if it improves uh, the schools. But I feel like the difference between a private school and a public school has nothing to do with the ed- the educators or the um, quality of education you're receiving. I think it has more to do with the type of students that you have and the homes that they come from. Mm-hmm. So in a public school, everyone is is allowed to come. So mm-hmm. you can have kids with behavior problems, with learning disabilities. Private schools don't have that. They mm-hmm. get to say, I'm sorry, but your child can't come to our school. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at completely different worlds. Private schools, you have families with money who value education, who a lot of times are going to back up the teachers and they're going to study with their kids at home. And those kids are going to come to school already knowing how to hold a pencil or, you know, knowing the alphabet or knowing that a book opens from the right to the left. Yeah. An element in, in public schools, you have kids who come to school who've never held a book, who have never been outside of the home, who don't understand any concepts, or who have serious learning disabilities or behavior problems. So the teachers at a public school have a much more daunting job in front of them because they're dealing with those kinds of things. But a public school is also offering education to those kids that they don't they can't get at a private school so I don't know that necessarily private schools are better per se than a public school um so and then I think also you're gonna have you know I said earlier that I feel like as a society we should always be advocating for the most innocent and vulnerable so when you have kids that are in homes where the parents don't care about their education they're not going to seek out vouchers they don't care. So their kids aren't going to have necessarily access to um, 
better education if private school is better. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Well, vouchers can also go, can also mean that you don't have to go to that one in your neighborhood. You can go to another school down the street. But my point is that I don't think that parents will take advantage of that. And I, I get that that's, that's their problem, but it's a child who has no say in the situation. So well, I'm wondering if, though, if, like, let's say we do end up having a voucher system in our county. I'm wondering if that would also lead some people to say, okay, well, we know these kids that live in, you know, the bad neighborhoods. They aren't, they may not have the transportation and they may not have the parents or the structure at home that's going to really care if they go to that school or if they go to Farragut, mm-hmm. you know, which is a, a, a you know, richer district or is it a district richer Um, area of our district yeah um so i'm thinking like what if there were some families or churches that were willing to transport children from let's say the east side of or the north side of um our city to the the west side of our city so that they can go to a better school what if there was something like that that just popped up that would be great but the, that wouldn't the pop problem up. would be, and I'm like I'm saying I'm not saying that vouchers are bad or we shouldn't do it, and I think it's definitely worth looking into and trying. I just I'm not sure that it's going to be like a magic wand oh, that fixes no everything. But yeah, how would you identify those students? Those would have to be identified through the teachers, right? Because if the parents aren't interested in giving their child a better education, and even if someone's saying, "Hey, I'll take your kid to this better school." A lot of times, I mean, they're not going to seek that out. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I guess there would have to be a way to identify those kids or um, reach out to those kids without depending on the parents. Yeah. Well, there were some more things that I think that, you know, we could have gone into, but we we're all, we're pretty much over an hour at this point. <laughs> but I was going to say, you know, there's um, somebody had mentioned charter schools being allowed to fail, but public schools are not allowed to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if maybe the voucher system would be helpful in something like that, where we can get, you know, we can sort of quote fail a public school, mm-hmm. and then we could then change the zoning up for kids to get out of a failed school. Um, but anyways. Uh, I think that we probably should just end it here. Maybe we can interview another time and we can talk more in depth about um, school choice. Yeah. And I know that there was a lot of questions about homeschooling that we never even got a chance to address. But um, uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Um, Anything else that you um, felt like you wanted to get off your chest? I mean, I felt like you did a really good job of explaining, like, kind of what it means to be a public school teacher. A lot of libertarians are very torn about this subject. Some are all about just like, oh, there's some of us who just want to get rid of the Department of Education altogether. And I would even, I, I think it would be good to just like get rid of the government Department of Education, let the teachers kind of have their own thing. You know, there's, I mean, I know with the the nurses, we have uh, our own board that we kind of have our own standards of practice and scope and everything. And we vote every so often on changing certain things about that scope of practice. It would probably be good if 
actual teachers who actually teach do that. I know one of the problems mm-hmm. that I've seen is a lot of administrators for um, the school are people who never either had a, had a class of their own or they have very limited experience teaching because they realize that it's not their cup of tea, but they, you know. Or they've been out of teaching for so long, they don't remember what it's like to be in the classroom. Yeah. I definitely think that if there's anything that I would want to add is just that we are professionals. You know, I have a master's degree in education and I've been teaching for 12 years. I know what I'm doing and I should be trusted more to be able to have autonomy in my classroom and be able to educate these students because these bureaucrats that are telling us what we need to be teaching or how we need to be teaching, like you said, they don't have the experience that we have. So I definitely feel like I should be, and my colleagues should be treated as as professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that one of the things, um, and I'll kind of end it here, is that um, I've noticed is that there's a lot of fluff that they you have to kind of cover like I know for for my daughter um you know she had black history month and she had Martin Luther King and then she had to learn about the pilgrims during Thanksgiving and I was like you know I, that's great and all but I really just really want her to know how to read right now yeah <laughs> she can learn about Martin Luther King for me I could teach her that I mean we've already talked about you know what the point of Thanksgiving was and yeah I don't need the teacher to do that for me I really really need the teacher to teach my daughter how to read because I cannot do that I've tried yes you know I think a lot of times those kinds of things are taught through reading which can be beneficial because you're building vocabulary and things that they will need to use in later Mm -hmm. on in life and success in reading a lot of times is just vocabulary and being Um, exposed to vocabulary that maybe some of the kids aren't exposed to at home. Yes. Well, um, I guess that we'll just kind of end it here, but um, I'll just send us off with um, basically Maddie's, Maddie's speech here. She always does at the end. And um, what we just want to do every single day is we just want to keep it sane, keep it peaceful and keep it voluntary And I'm just going to say thank you, Kelly, for coming and talking with me about this. Thanks for Um, having me. Maybe we'll we'll expand more later, and maybe we'll have somebody else, because I know you suggested another teacher. Is it a teacher? Yeah, middle school. A middle school teacher. So she (laughs) she probably knows all the bad stuff. All right. Well, we'll end it here, and thank you for listening. You can always reach us at voluntaryvixens at gmail.com if you want to send us any questions or recommendations. We're on Instagram at um, voluntaryvixenspodcast. We're also on Twitter at um, vixensvoluntary. And then um, if you want to uh, donate to our Patreon, it's capital V's. It is um, vixens underscore voluntary at patreon.com. And um, I guess we'll end it there. Have a nice day. Thank you. Goodbye.
Bye. Bye.